even though it was only 12 new cards and some banner changes, but it feels very different, which is quite nice. The cameras have all just switched around. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this, the inaugural, oh, that's a good word, episode of Zweinel, a Gwent podcast, hosted by myself, Jagras, and joined as co-host by the lovely Spiro. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Looking forward to it. Got some exciting news and stuff to talk about today. Lots to go through. And um, yeah, uh, we joined together with Gravesh and Payable. Um, so welcome, everyone. Hello. So All today right. is patch day. So we're going to have a, Gwent, uh, a podcast. Basically, we're trying to do it each month on patch day or around patch day. It's usually on the Tuesday, so that kind of works. To go through what is coming out, there should also be podcasts on the meta report when that comes out. Um, and so before we get into all of that, let's talk about the new format for Gwent expansions because we're not getting, you know, big expansions anymore. Yeah, we got, um, obviously, with the new roadmap we're having now, um, instead of having two expansions a year, they've kind of, like, spread up more evenly. So we're getting, uh, I believe it's 12 cards every two months. So we now have more, less downtime between these two big expansions and more, you know, steady content throughout the year, which I think is actually a decent change. I, I, I think I like that because the big problem was obviously these big, you know, downtimes between it, which is now kind of getting alleviated. What do you yeah, guys like think? The, the meta was often pretty stale uh, for a long time because, like last year, we had literally only two expansions, right? And at some point, like the meta was just <laughs> like so boring because oh, people shit. just played the same decks and it was just hard to find anything new. And we literally had the same cards for like six months and only changes for like balance changes. So, yeah. Uh, so, I guess it's pretty nice that when they decided that they can't really afford to like release i don't know three or four big expansions they're just gonna like split the content <laughs> throughout the year i mean honestly it really depends on like how the the content drops actually look like i haven't looked too much into the new cards they look interesting like it's definitely pretty exciting stuff to play around with but on the other hand like 12 cards is not that much so it really depends on how many like um, balance changes are going to be there, like together with the, the new cards uh, to keep the meta fresh. But honestly, I, I don't mind it too much. It's a bit sad. Like I like new expansions when there's like 80 new cards and then there's just like Wild West for a week or so. But it's true that like <laughs> last year, like a whole no swearing, I remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Like last year, like how how often can you actually play against warriors and shield wall and the same stuff over and over? It gets boring after a time. So it's it's interesting. Like I'm excited to see how it's gonna play out. Yeah, I, I must say they also spoke about the fact that they wanted to have like the um they wanted to try and make the cards more meaningful. So that instead of having like these big ex bigger expansions with like you know a lot of filler cards they also wanted to try now fine-tune more like specific cards that will have more impact in the meta and i must say from what i've seen today it does seem like the meta it almost feels like an entire expansion was released even though it was only 12 new cards and some balance changes but it feels very different which is quite nice i think my major concern major concern my concern with it though is 
with a big expansion, you could get, you know, 10, 15 cards for a faction, for example, maybe even more, 20, whatever. Uh, and they could synergize. So in an expansion, you could kind of have a few pieces that fit together to make a kind of archetype. Whereas now when we're getting 12 cards, we've got, what, two per faction? So how much can you kind of generate an archetype in those kind of chunks, you know, if, if you wanted to create a whole new archetype or something like that, and you're only doing two cards each time, it's going to take a while for that even to have a knock-on effect into the game. Um, so my concern, I guess, to an extent is when you're adding only a couple cards, how can you have synergistic cards? Because it might be the case that you can't until later on. Yeah. It's also like, I mean, now we saw like, I think it's 12 legendaries, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, two for every faction. It's cool. It's like big, flashy cards. Shenanigans happen and everything. But I think one of the biggest strengths of Way of the Witcher, which I think was actually, with like the exception of some outliners, a pretty good expansion, uh, was that it introduced some really meaningful bronze cards, like um, cards like Chimera or uh, Griffin Witcher Adept, like actual cards that really make a game plan and shift the focus a bit away from like only like draw all the goals and slim slam them and then you outpoint your opponent it's a bit more brawl centristic and i mean they could obviously release interesting brawl cards in the future in their content droplets and everything but uh, it's not going to be easy like 12 cards is really not much so you need to be hitting the mark with your design like it actually needs to be really good yeah, yeah. Like so, so far it kind of looked like uh, they're just changing the bronzes that are already in the game, right? They're just trying mm -hmm. to make unplayable bronzes synergize with some archetypes. So maybe that's what they will focus. They will just like change the unplayable bronzes that already exist in the game and then just add more legendaries. It's it's hard to tell what they exactly mm -hmm. plan to do. Right? And it, it should mean going forward that when they do add more bronzes that they we don't end up with you know that patch where there's like what is it like will of the wisp or those those bronze cards that you see and you're like okay well what is what is the point of this card you know you, you, those bronze cards where we don't even know the names like i'm pretty sure there's like oxenfurt scholar i don't even yep, know why I know that. Yeah, that. the scholar was buffed this patch he's a four provision <laughs> card now ready yourself but, but that's what i mean so oh, hopefully yes. <laughs> we won't see those filler cards. But speaking of this patch, Gravish, let's have a little gander at some of the patch notes, talk about some of these new cards, what is All coming right. to the game. Um, so we'll start with... We'll start, should we start with new cards? Let's start with new cards. So, new card. Detwaf van der Eriting. Power 6, Provisions 10, Category Vampire. Deploy. Spawn Blood Moon on an enemy row for one turn. Increase the duration by one for every adjacent vampire. Order, oh my god, this this is the longest context ever. Damage uh, an enemy unit <laughs> with long. bleeding by one. Yeah, they're all long, which means they do a lot. Uh, death blow, spawn an Ekamara on this row, cooled down one. So that is our new one of our new monsters cards. Should we do them? Should we go through both cards and then talk about them, or should we go one card by one card? What do you want to do? Yes. I mean, why not, right? Yes. And honestly, honestly, Jack, I think you should read out every single <laughs> card. I'll just use cards. of text, all of them. So good luck <laughs> reading all of it. <laughs> right, so so we've got Detlaf and we've got Unseen Elder. He's five power, 12 provisions. Gives bleeding to an enemy unit and at the end of the turn, gives bleeding two to a random enemy unit without bleeding. If you have devotion, then bleeding also triggers on the end of your turn. So we've got some new vampire stuff. We've got some new bleeding stuff. That's kind of where we're at. Take it away. <laughs> 
I mean, I played a lot of vampires today. I must say that, that one of, there's so much bleeding now that one of the big problems, I know, I know the Gravation spoke about this earlier with me, like there's just so much bleed. You can just build a deck with 500 bleeding and there's just not enough things to bleed. It does also have the problem of Veil units really do hurt vampires still as well. And I did actually have some situations where Veil just kind of, you know, really messed me over. But um, yeah, I must say the vampires, there seems to be a lot of different ways to go about and it's very interesting um, with all the different approaches you can go through. I'm still not sure what's the best way. I'm not sure if um, Gravesh or Pyable, if you guys have any, uh, any seen any interesting vampire decks or or what are your thoughts on vampires right now? I mean, you obviously go Renuariana views now. <laughs> 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 uh, nah, but I, I, I really like the buffs to vampires because like monsters felt kind of stars for decks. Like it was kind of nice that uh, people came up with the Q deck. Uh, Last patch, Greenlight popularized it, and because honestly, I'm not a huge fan of Kelly. I mean, Kelly as a card is okay, but like the deck just relying on Siri Dash abuse is not okay. <laughs> so like it was, it's it's just kind of nice to have another potential options uh, op- potential option for monsters now. Um, and yeah, these cards like. I think it's really hard to rate their actual like potential because yeah, there's just so much stuff happening on these cards, right? Like there are so many factors you have to consider, like yeah. the randomness in the bleeding, the how easy it is to actually get the death blow and the death love, um, whether like you can actually protect these cards uh, reliably. So like yeah, it's gonna be quite interesting, I think. Um, what? I have a question because I haven't been able to play today. I've been um, mm. at school um, and today is patch day. But so it says random bleeding. So if that random bleeding goes onto a veil unit, does it just, it just like negate it? Just, it goes up in smoke. Oh just no, RNG from Fun from a uh, casting perspective. Well, let's see where the bleeding goes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the one thing that's a bit annoying about vampires is the randomness of the bleeds can be very mm. annoying sometimes. I mean, like, just looking at both cards at face value, um, I mean, they're both interesting. I think Deadlove, to me, seems like the much stronger card than Unseen Elder, uh, because they're both, like, engines uh, in themselves, but Unseen is one less power, it's a lot more expensive, and, like, Unseen is the card that just slams, like, a million bleeding, and I'm not sure if you really would want to go Devotion, which seems pretty important for Elder uh, to actually get like the full value of like all the bleeding shenanigans. But like in a dedicated vampire deck, it should be pretty easy to get like um, a vampire pocket for Deadlove. And then you basically play a 6 for 10 that spawns 3 turns of Blood Moon, which is already pretty solid. And then you also have an engine that potentially slams you for like 4 per turn, um, or like 3 per turn basically if you count the units bleeding. Uh, seems pretty decent to me. Uh, it's also like I think pretty important when you look at these two is like the buff to bronze units, like especially Alp uh, looked really really good if I read it correctly. Like it's a three for three that applies a uh, three for five that applies three bleeding and then can apply an additional three bleeding on order, which is like, super good actually for a five version unit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that we're getting something besides Kelly because right now, for the last like month, it's been kind of just oh, Kelly. Kill me, man! Like all oh, Kelly gameplay. One theory dash. Oh, like you play 
witches, you don't draw your own sales. I, I swear to God, like, one. I, I, like on the last day of the season, I saw like four people just go like, yep, turn one fucking dash, lead the charge. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't have my own sales. Guess I just lose the game. Wow, fun. <laughs> you don't play around with five my own sales. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if I drew my own sales. Oh, my God. Yeah, good old There's also a Skellige change. I mean, Jagger, do you want to fill us in on what's happening Take with Skellige? Okay, well, Skellige, they got some, they got some crack. They've got crack and crate. He's here to make it <laughs> power seven. They're doing some things with pirates. Uh, yeah. he's a pirate. He is ten provisions. Deploy. Give two armor to three pirates or ships in your hand. So armor up your ships and your pirates. Whenever you play a pirate or ship next to crack, they get high. No uh, damage, and the lowest power <laughs> get by each other's power. So the uh, basically, the power of the ship damages itself, and then the lowest power enemy unit. Uh, you also have East, East, Iced, whatever. Oh, oh boy. Three provisions, 11. He's a warrior and a veteran, so he's getting stronger every turn. Uh, he's got Bloodthirst 2 uh, on deploy. Draw a card, then discard a card. Whenever you discard a card, Skellige, uh, discard a Skellige unit during your turn, summon it from your graveyard to this row. And he's got two counters, so he can do that twice. Uh, bear in mind that there's also the leader ability, right, that discards a card. So you can play ice and then instantly discard something on the turn that he's played. Yeah, I must Seems say. pretty good. <laughs> I mean, ice to be clear, wait, one, one thing, one thing first. Devotion also work whenever a Skellige unit enters your graveyard during your turn. So you have Devotion anytime it goes into the graveyard. It doesn't have to be discarded. So that's that oh. leader ability because that doesn't technically discard. Right, continue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from what I saw from ice, the card looked absolutely incredible. Like the card, I think you could play for like 37 points in one turn with your leader ability if you played um, Blaze of Glory. So the card has an insanely crazy amount of points. Um... So, yeah, I mean, that card is its possibly going to be a meta-defining card this season, I think. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, if you guys played it get munching. I know, Pyball, you've seen a lot of um, Ice today, you said. Yeah, like, um, I mean, Ice seems really good. Um, obviously, like, you you just, you kind of just need to play him in Devotion, Blaze of Glory, probably, because I don't really see the card in any other deck. Uh, like, it just... You just lose so many points if you play it anywhere else. Um, so, like, the blood first condition can potentially be awkward sometimes, right? Like, you're not always gonna get it. Uh, but other than that, the card just seems extremely busted, right? Like, you can just slam it, discard like a bear witch or a greatsword, and lead her into Utah for so many points. It's it's kind of insane. I mean, like one thing I will say about Ice, like I haven't played at all, so I can't really judge that well, is there's some clunkiness about the card, right? There is. You need the bloodthirst, and you need a hand that can actually support like a good discard, and then if you only discard one unit, he's actually not really worth it. Like, you, you actually need to get a second proc off, and you don't always want to use that uh, that leader ability or whatnot, so it's going to be pretty important to get around control with the deck that plays the ice, and it's it's not always possible. So he seems really good, but yeah, maybe there is like maybe he's not super overpowered or anything. Like I don't know. Yeah, like I guess he kind of forces you to like leader on the same turn you play him. So, for example, if you want to. Like avoid playing into total removal. And 
yeah. and you can't because you have to like discard your Utah and then you just play into all kinds of like heat waves and other total removal. And um yeah, you're also just forced to discard the Utah instead of like Mark. So sometimes yeah. You would prefer to use your leader on like a five power engine instead, right? Like it was like we used to play Blaze of Glory Rust Patch. Um, so yeah, there are definitely some downsides, but like the the face value of the card is is pretty insane as long as you have the Bloodfest condition. So definitely, and it's also a meta defining card. There's also a croc, and I must say, I read through a lot of the pirate. I mean, it seems to be trying to support this pirate archetype. It's an archetype that I swear every time there's a, a, a passion, they're always trying to push the pirate and boat um, cards in Skelliger. And for some reason, they just never really take foot in the meta. Um, they did a, another sweeper, right? Where they buffed a lot of pirate cards. They buffed things like um, the Dimmon, I think it's called Dimmon Longship or Dimmon Lightship. I don't know if it's one of the ships, the ones that used to do three damage. Um, they buffed quite a few of the pirate cards. And I haven't seen a whole lot of it on today. I think people are kind of still on the ice hype train. I'm sure people are going to experiment with, with pirates. But re- when I read through the patch that I just said, the cards did look like they have they play for good value, but I'm not sure how well they they play as a cohesive unit together, which is still something that needs to be experimented with, I guess. It's it's tricky because like I mean when we look at the whole piracy thing and then to say like you wouldn't download a long ship you know the, the problem with piracy is just that the cards that go with it don't really work and this effect you know where it has this thing whenever you play a pirate ship damage it and the lowest power enemy unit by each other's power so like if you play a ship that's got armor it's going to remove its own armor and then it's going to damage the lowest unit by its power which often you're losing out on points there because it's not going to hit. You know, necessarily something big enough because a lot of decks have lots of little ones. For example, like a, you know, like Arrakis swarms and and decks which have those kind of small power units mm. are going to block. There's also situations where a small power unit could be something that you specifically don't want to kill. You know, like Redanian, uh flying Redanian and those sort of situations. So this whole damaging thing just feels really awkward. Like Crack's ability is, in my opinion, mediocre. I mean, I would just call it straight up trash tier. Like, I don't know what what the this card is about. Like, I mean, I know it's like the love child. Like, in the home office, they're like, "Come on, this patch, we're gonna make pirates viable, guys. Let's do it." <laughs> but uh, for some reason, like, they need to print, print like bloody go for pirates, and then we can talk about it. Um, I mean, some of the buffs did look interesting, but honestly, like the problem with Krach is. When do you play this card? Um, it's a seven for ten at face value that gives like potentially up to six armor to things in your hand, but then it wants you to play other cards that are kind of brawls cards to synergize. But like, when do you play this? Round one, round two, round three? I I don't know. This card just looks like trash to me. And when you look yeah, at the chips, I mean, oh sorry, Pyro. Yeah, I think like one thing uh, you can say is that. Like, I often would play this card without using the second ability. I would just give, like, armor to the light long ships and just (laughs) use them with the armor. Because why why would I even use the ability to, like, damage the lowest enemy unit when it's probably just going to be, like, a token or something and I'm just going to lose points, right? Like, the the second ability of the card seems very questionable. even the first one is not amazing, though, is it? Because yeah. you want to, with your ships, they tend to be your engines. Like, you usually want to play them early, play them first, whereas you're delaying your engines because you have to play Crack to give them armor. And you also have to have those cards in your hand. So it's not like you can even be like, oh, I've got a ship in my deck that I'm going to Raiding Fleet. So tough luck. If, you're, if your ship's in your deck, then you can't even put the armor on it then. So it just seems like they've just put all of these clauses, like, 
it's almost like you know we, we we decided we signed up to be a pirate. We didn't read the terms and conditions, and there were <laughs> lines of fine print like that. Oh, but you only get your armor if you happen to be in my hand, and it's uh, the eighth Tuesday of the year, and it's raining. You know that's that's kind of what this card feels like. There's very very tiny little situations where you can kind of utilize yeah. ability, but. It, it does kind of feel a little bit forced, I guess. There are a lot of cards that are kind of saying that you, you have to run this together, you have to run this together, and they don't really, I guess, I mean, I, I could still be wrong with this, it's very early into the patch, but it does seem like, as Gravesh mentioned, like, without, like, a Blood Eagle, without, like, a, a, a card that kind of ties them all together, Krach is supposed to be that card, but it does seem somewhat awkward at times. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see, I guess. Um, it is definitely something that... Mm might be experimented with but who knows honestly the the only exciting thing about the uh, pirates is that uh, the the new demon smuggler um which is like now is basically a spawns a copy of itself and you play next to a ship and they have two three-point bodies that can ping for one that's actually really good in scaling it can set up a lot of shenanigans with your one ping power but honestly like this this boy is not gonna see play in a pirate deck it's gonna see play in maybe other decks yeah. Yeah, it's just gonna see play in a normal skelly <laughs> back to our skelly and then um square tall square tall square tall um jagras what have you got for us for square tall i know you've been dying with We've got Brewerhoog. We've got Brewerhoog. Fun, fun. Uh, Para 6, Provisions 11, Category Dwarf. Deploy, gain one armor for every dwarf in your hand. So dwarf decks. Barricade. At the end of your turn, boost all dwarves with armor on this row by one. Then we have Eldane. Power 6, Provisions 10, Category Elf. Deploy, transform all your face-up traps into Elven Dead Eyes. Huh, traps. <laughs> Devotion. Also transform your other artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bruver. Bruver kind of seems like it can be crazy sometimes. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, like Bruver is a Bruver to me seems like the reason you would want to play dwarfs. Like that's the payoff card. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I could see dwarves being a wholesome tier to deck just because of Bruver because like they already have some nice cards, like Justice is obviously extremely good, right? I mean, Munro is still a very, very good card. Berserkers, are, like they have dwarves are very solid bronzes with Berserkers, with Mahakam guards. The deck mm -hmm. just kind of lacked, like, I don't know, some sort of, like, control, maybe, and yeah. other stuff. And the, the points were technically there, but... You know, it's not the same points as like Masquerade Ball or Witchers, right? Like it's not even comparable. So a card like Brewer could actually help to maybe put dwarves in tier two instead of like a niche tier three deck that it is right now. Yeah. I mean, I must say, like when Bruva sticks, it's it's like a Gezrus. It's like a dwarf Gezrus, and it's it's an, it, and it's not it's not, it's something even better than Gezrus because you could this card doesn't have an adrenaline um, restriction. You could play it like turn two if you want to and have it go for the whole round theoretically, and it can play for ridiculous amounts of points. There's, um, there's no yeah. adrenaline. It has armor, pretty much guaranteed. Like especially if you play it with like maybe Mahakam Forge is actually a leader for a deck like this um, because like all the random armor isn't that bad in the meta. And like this card is, and, um, and there's a lot of dwarves that have armor by default, right? So you know yes. they boost all doors with armor on this row by one. Figus, for example, I believe has armor, so he's getting mm. boosted up, which can then protect protect your Bruver. Um, you've got a bunch of dwarves that just play with armor, and you've already got armor synergies in dwarves. You know, so 
I can see it kind of slotting in and potentially bringing the deck up a level. With that said, it's kind of one of those cards where there's not that many things to control in dwarves because there's not you know huge numbers of of dwarves you necessarily need to deal with straight off the bat. So maybe this is something that eats up locks and stuff, which then kind that's, of that's true. But like, it's but even if you look at a card like Gazras, which is like completely overpowered in my opinion, um, like this card is. You just play it. It trades up to literally, not literally, but nearly every removal or answer card in the game. But if you don't have a good answer, it just wins the game on the spot. Like, whoop. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Like cards like this are like I underestimated Gazrus when I saw it. Uh, I thought it's like good, but it's like easy to remove, and it's not going to be that insane. But it's actually busted. And if like if dwarfs are at all playable, like Brugo Hook is going to be the key piece. Yeah, I fully agree. And then Aldane. Aldane, Aldane, Aldane. The card that um, makes traps great again. Is traps great again? Yes or no? I don't know. Uh, was it ever great to begin with? You say it again as if there was a period of time where everyone was like, I mean, crap. traps Traps were good like two years ago when there was a Bruver Trap deck that was the last time they were actually solid. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not only they buffed the lane, they also buffed all the traps, right? Like they yeah. gave the spring condition to serpent trap and pitfall trap. So these cards, you know, you can actually play them and they're not going to be dead if your opponent passes, which is pretty huge, honestly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we also got Ape Harahatori, right? Who is a pretty busted card in the trap deck. Like just get another crashing trap or a pitfall or something. It can be extremely good, right? So... Yeah, traps might be looking scary because, like, you just play a bunch of traps, then you play a Dane transform. Like, you also play Infane Death. You just transform all of these into Teta and then you slam, like, Verno, Ice, and Cream for a million points. So, yeah. Speaking yeah. of traps, I, I remember I had one game today. I started with Faltus, and my opponent played Serpent Trap and instantly sprung it, and it killed my Faltus because Faltus <laughs> the only one on the board. So you can literally use you can use um, Serpent Trap like a Manticore in Squirtle. Like your opponent tears an engine, you just pop down a, a Serpent Trap, spring it, and kill it's, it instantly. It's kind of crazy. New Serpent Trap is really good, actually, especially if you consider Hattori, especially if you consider Yorworth was also buffed last patch to have one more point, I have, I like, please, 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 I hope I'm wrong. I think it's going to be good. I really hope it's not because <laughs> mm, who doesn't love getting blue coin, getting greeted by like seven traps in a row, having to give up the round and then like the opponent plays five more traps in round three and then finishes you off with like 50 point elder and like fantastic gameplay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like we, we need white frost back for this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like just looking at the power level, it actually seems like a really good card. Um if your traps would just read plus three uh on them, they were completely broken cards. And uh Eldane six for ten is not the worst. Pretty easy to get value, extra value from. I think this card is gonna see play and probably be viable. Does anyone else yeah. think the devotion? Seems just like 
they just tacked that on. They're like, oh, we need more devotion cards. What can we do? What can we do? Oh, yeah, also transform your other artifacts. Like, how often do you really play artifacts? I mean, like, there's maybe some fringe synergies with something like Portal into the... Um, you can't like the... It's devotion. It's devotion, Gravish. Right. Portal. Yeah, it's... We're going to run... I mean, you can, you, can, you can transform your saber, too, obviously. Right? <laughs> 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 like, like, imagine... Oh, Getting that seven points tiger when you can just get a chat three points a day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, what what ST artifacts are there even that you would like? There's a couple. There's, there's like several of them. I mean, I, I must say though, like I like that they added more devotion cards because the thing is I've always yeah. found like kind of annoying about Gwent is that the, whenever they add like a, an expansion, they kind of like add like a gimmick if like if it's evolving cards or devotion or whatever, and then they kind of don't really go go on to expand that in later. So it's nice to see them actually like adding more to pre-existing mechanics and whatnot and trying to expand upon them. So I think that's actually a pretty good thing. I much I'd like to see more of in you know further you know mini expansions, mm. whatever you want to call them nowadays. <clears throat> yeah, I, I just think this devotion choice is odd when Squirtel doesn't really have Squirtel only artifacts, you know? Like, oh, we'll transform artifacts, but most of our artifacts are neutral, but we're going to give it devotion. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, don't I know. mean, it's a bit of the uh, CDPR sledgehammer approach because all the yeah. other factions had one card that had devotion, so we need to add it on one of the ST cards too. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess, like a very fringe upside. Maybe, I would honestly, I would need to look at the deck builder. Maybe there's like more to it. Um, but yeah, mostly if you play like these trap abuse decks, they are probably not going to be Devotion anyway because you want cards like Heat Wave, maybe even Curse of Corruption shenanigans like that. And yeah. So let's go uh, Northern Realms next. New card, full King full test. I apologize. Uh, power 7, Provision 12, Category Human. The first time a bronze unit on your side of the battlefield is boosted each turn, spawn a base copy of it at the bottom of your deck. Devotion also boosts the spawned copy by one. So there's more devotion. New card, Queen Meave, Power 7, Armor 2, Provisions 10, Category Human. Inspired. At the end of your turn, lower the counter by one. Counter three. When the counter reaches zero, boost all allied units by one. Yeah, Northern Realms. Um, these cards are both complete trash. Let's go next section. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, so with fault as there is the problem, right, that you want to play commandos with inspired zeal, so you kind of can't just use your lead a charge randomly for one point just to buff a commando, right? So to expone a commando after you play fall test. So you would have to play fall test first on the board, and then you would have to play commandos and, you know, buff a commando, give it zeal, then you get another one. But, I mean, your opponent can just, like, heat wave the fall test or just lock it. Uh, or certain just has the time to answer test. it. <laughs> and, like, you're not gonna play engines in a commando deck, so it's just, like, the only target opponent really has to answer. And then with me, so um, so like you can buff the card and then it's only basically counter two, but like same, like in which deck are you gonna play it? Like are you gonna play it in Witchers? Are you gonna play it in Commandos? Like again, those decks don't really have like engines. I mean, like Witchers at least have a Keldar, I guess, and Adepts and 
Griffin Witchers, but in Commandos, it's just like hard to play engines. So, yeah, like these cards don't seem very good because the decks they are good in don't really like support these cards too well because you just don't have other threats really in those decks. So, yeah. I mean, I guess like Foltest probably isn't really supposed to be commandos. Like I saw some suggestions about the uh, II source, the uh, Dunbanner, things yeah. like that. But like even then, like holy moly, he's seven for 12. But then you also need extra conditions to fulfill to get units on the bottom of your deck. Like what? Like why? Why? Yeah, that's it just so seems like dang. a card that's very difficult to actually like, you know, survive. And it, 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 the card kind of, if it survives, it's great. But like a lot of time, it's very easy to just lock it or heat wave it. I don't know. Maybe maybe could have could have um, made made use of a veil or something just to make it a little bit harder to deal with. Because I don't know, the card does seem very much like, yep, just gonna get heat wave, just gonna get locked, and then you're kind of sad. <clears throat> and then and then we have Queen Meave, which basically does what Bone Talisman does, but with a bunch of conditions attached. Because you know why? Let's have counter. We have to counter. This is this is like when they they add keywords. You know, we just talked about uh, devotion. This is like they're like, guys, we need to use the keyword counter more because we only have like one card that, that uses it at the moment. And then someone was like, I know, we'll have a counter that just counts down. And then after three turns, it'll do something. And they're like, oh, but we added adrenaline. It kind of does the same thing to delay playing cards. And then like, no, but we need to use counter, you guys. So I've got a great idea. And then, and then someone's like, what could it do? And someone's like, oh, Northern Realms, they like to boost things. Let's just let's just do that. Problem next card, next card, move on. And yeah, I, I don't like it. It's not exciting. And it just seems like, again, jumping through hoops to get an outcome that you can easily yeah. get with other cards. I, I kind of compared Meave to um to Trist Talisman, and it's very similar. It's a bit more points, <laughs> technically speaking, but the problem is it has a lot of conditions attached to it, which make it you know answerable. Lock it, you know, you could lock it, heat wave it, or whatever. So I don't know. It just seems very ingrained. You know, cards that don't come down for immediate value are typically not cards that are often very good because in Gwent there's lots of ways to answer things and if a card doesn't come down for decent immediate value it's usually not a very good card most of the time and I think that also applies to Meave potentially. Yeah I think like Meave is a card that definitely has the potential to actually play for points because Bone Talisman on a seven body is actually really really good um, but like even the idea that you play the card you already play a seven for ten which is not particularly great, but then you have to invest like external boosts into the card that's like <laughs> gonna get fucking. Oh, excuse me. Um, like I, I already did that. So yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know. That. I already um, broke the rule. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't call him out on it. I was like, well, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie. But yeah, the NR cards look, they're, they're too janky in my book. I don't see it. <laughs> so yeah, moving sure. on, we have everyone's nope. favoritest, best faction oh, of all time. Def Send no Nilfgaard. <laughs> Nilfgaard. New okay. card. All right, I'm I'm right. Are you ready? Power three, provision sign category, human aristocrat. I thought it said aristocrat for a second. Not like that. No, that's a Disney film. Deploy. <laughs> Replace your leader ability with a base copy of your opponent's leader ability. Because Nilfgaard needs these sort of things. <laughs> uh New card, Emir Var Emeris, power seven, provision 11, category, humans, aristocrat. Deploy, draw a card, then move a card from your hand to the bottom of your deck. Whenever your opponent plays a unit, give it spying. Devotion at the end of your turn sees a random one power spying unit. 
Does that happen? You know, um, if there's a, if there is a one point spying unit that's available for you to yoink, but that's mm -hmm. obviously difficult to set up. But I must say, with the mirror, it's. I don't want to use this word, but I feel like it kind of does dictate the word being used. I think it can be a little bit binary in the term that if Amir sticks on the board and you have engines like Enforcers and whatnot sticking with it, you, I think, just win the game. I think it doesn't matter what you're up against. Well, I mean, it's like a no-unit deck, but if your cards stick, I'm pretty sure Amir is beating everything if he sticks. But the thing is, is he going to stick? Because I don't really see these cards all sticking on the board. That's the thing. And it's other cards like me that it can get answered. Like it's a seven point card that it's a seven for what's the provision? I think it's like 12 11. or something, 11. Um, and if it gets answered, you're very sad. But if you don't, if it doesn't get answered, well, then you win the game. So I don't know. Um, kind of, it's a cool ability. It's adding support to the spy archetype, which obviously is an archetype that I think most people love and really want to be good. But I don't know. Amir does seem like kind of card that just, kind of removal bait yeah like Amir I, I could see some really really greedy NG decks popping off now right like with seditious aristocrats enforcers dames just play like Amir Fergus masquerade ball like he's an aristocrat which is huge because yeah. you really want these like um these scaled up aristocrats to proc your ball, it's just the most efficient way to just proc your ball with broken golds, right? So, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to get up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like the, the card looks pretty scary, not gonna lie, but what I'm a bit worried about is that, um, like, you're gonna play a deck. Uh, like spies, and you're gonna have to use some of these engines round one to win the round. And then, if you don't win the round, you're just gonna get bled. And if you win the round, then you not you might just not have many engines left. And if your opponent can just answer these engines in round three, then your emir doesn't play for that much value. Like I guess um, it has synergy, like immediate synergy with cards like Brafens, for example, because you get that one point spy on the board, and then you can just yoink it with emir later. So it's not that bad, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting and potentially binary card that can just like win the game on the spot or just be pretty sad. Yeah, there is honestly, um, I mean, this is where Gwen's moving right now, right? Like we're getting every expansion, every update, we're getting more of these absolutely game-ending threats, and then it's either like you. Do you have an answer or you don't? And if you don't, you better win round one and lead it out because else go next. <laughs> Not sure if I like it. Um, yeah, but like about Amir, he also has his deployability, which is, I guess, a nice upside. I don't really see that much synergy. There is some in Nilfgaard, like card manipulation, like cards like Invocation or so. Obviously, it synergizes very well, but then probably want to play Involate and Emir early, so not entirely sure. Uh, if you build greedy decks, the, it's nice extra consistency. Uh, I could see it, honestly. I, I don't think he's terrible, but I don't think he's going to be super popular. Because NG decks already suffer from getting bled pretty heavily. And like the good thing about the lockdown ball of the last two seasons was that all the top-end goals, except for ball, you can commit it. To defend the bleed and then like still have the ball to win round three but a card like emir is so synergy based that he kind of doesn't really fit decks like that so mm. yeah 
I mean, there's also Anna and Rieta, and that's a very interesting one um, in what it does with Anna being able to, you know, get to your opponent's leader ability. So, you know, you play your leader ability, and then you can play Anna and then steal your opponent's leader ability as well. So you can get two leader abilities in the game. Interesting, it's an interesting um, concept because you can potentially, you know, um, play your leader ability in round one or two and then reutilize a leader ability again later on. It can also play for, like, carrier value too. What happens if your opponent's leader ability is lockdown? I just, I know they've changed lockdown, uh, which we'll talk about in a second, but this just seems confusing. So you replace your leader ability with the ability to disable your opponent's leader ability, and their ability is to disable your... It just gets... I don't know. This is... This I mean, really lockdown, has a, <laughs> lockdown has another ability now where you can yeah. actually get two... two um, what's well, operative? So it's, it can play for like six points. Um so I guess there's that, but yeah, it's it's that would be weird. I mean, Anorinetic can have some bad matches, right? You can queue into like Eurasian Ritual, and mm-hmm. then you're not going to have anything to self damage, and you're literally unironically going to play a one point leader. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure what your guys' thoughts are on Anna. Bastard. Absolutely bastard, yeah. It's so uh, cheap as well. Nine provisions is not that much. I mean, sure, there's the RNG component about like what leaders your opponent playing, but like look at the leaders that are played at the moment. We have like Uprising, we have uh, Dead Eye Ambush, even things like Groover or like like so many leaders are base value huge. And then you can like use synergy effects too with Nilfgaard. Um, there's also like you can play this card as like basically carryover. Use your leader, play Anna Henrietta, carry over your opponent's leader into round three. She's relatively yeah. cheap at nine provision, and she's an aristocrat. Like, <laughs> okay. And Seems even busted. you know, leader abilities that require you to have copies of your opponent, like Skellige cards or Northern Realms cards or what have you. With things like invocation, you can still manipulate the board state to enable Anna Henrietta. And like invocation, for example, is such a it's just a good Nilfgaard card anyway. So it's not like you'd have to build a deck to allow Hen- Anna to work with different decks. Like it just it just seems really solid. And like nine provisions is I would say pretty cheap for well, it's super cheap for this card, but nine provisions isn't that much anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting card. I think it has some potential. Um and lockdown obviously being changed is something that's been I mean lockdown's been a very controversial leaderability for a long time. You know, a lot of people have been kind of saying that they want lockdown gone from the game. And now we have a situation where it's not quite gone, but it's I, I don't know. Do you guys how do you feel about lockdown the way it is now? Do you think it's still there's some place for it still in the metal, or do you think it's now kind of dead or I what think, do you guys think? Like, I think it's uh, the step three in CPR's ongoing experiment. Like, first it was Invigorate. Then they thought, maybe we can make a leader as bad as Invigorate. So they printed <laughs> the new pincer maneuver. And then it was like, but, like, it's actually not as bad as Invigorate. So let's make new lockdown. And then we're finally going to get there. And I think they, they did it. I think they, they nailed their goal. Because this leader is just completely unplayable. I, I, yeah, I, I, it's I, I, just, like... I'm not sure why is it even fat in provisions because this ability is just like, so bad. Like <laughs> so often it's just gonna be a six point leader. Like you yeah. want like so often you just want, for example, last say with NG, but then your opponent fast fast say just uses their leader and like nice luck down <laughs> Like I get it, and you know, sometimes you don't want to use your leader early, right? Like could deny some points on like uprising or other stuff like that, but like in reality, the leaders just mm-hmm. I don't know, pretty garbage in my opinion. So yeah. See, I find it contradictory because CDPR they're always like lockdown exists and it keeps 
other leader abilities in check. It's like the well, if one leader ability gets too out of hand, lockdown exists. That we can you can make a deck that kind of counters that. And then they say, like, with its ability to completely remove a dimension of the game, lockdown was a problematic ability. And it's like you're saying one thing and then you're doing the opposite. And I don't well, know. I never felt like lockdown was. Honestly, I agree with CDPR here. I think lockdown was toxic, and I'm very happy to see it gone. Very, very happy, actually. Because like, if you look at the Vine meta that we had, start of the expansion, even first month, you had Vi, which was like completely busted. And then you had exactly one leader. Like You didn't have a meta evolving around countering Vi. You had one leader that completely ass-clapped Vi, like 80%, 90% matchup. So then you actually, instead of getting a meta where everyone tries to beat the top dog deck, you get a meta, like you get a triangle, you get the busted deck, you get lockdown, and you get all the other shit that actually counters lockdown. So then you just <laughs> you just play slot machines all day long on the ladder, just cue the right matchups, and it's it's just so annoying. But you could and, make the same argument, like the the only reason that lockdown was an issue there is because there was a meta busted deck. So as long as CDPR doesn't make meta busted decks, then lockdown isn't an issue. So it's like, exactly, which is, your, agree, po- sorry, is your poison? Is your poison lockdown no, no, or is it? But- I, I think, <laughs> like, my argument is that if there is a busted deck and lockdown can be an answer to it, it just makes the meta much worse than when there's no lockdown to answer it. Because then there's an organic meta that's going to develop around countering the top deck instead of just a meta where lockdown is a play deck that, that just farms this deck. It's just uh, having, like, one good deck and everything trying to catch up is so much more enjoyable than playing a triangle meta. Like in general, yeah. I, I tend to agree. Um, lockdown was definitely something that has been quite controversial for a while, and I think it's people are quite happy to see it gone. Um, gone. I like what you're saying. It's gone. It's still I mean, it's it's it's, it's it's probably gone. I think it's gone. It's gone. It's gone ish. It, it's it's pseudo gone. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, uh, so I think last but not least for our factions, we have good old Syndicata. Syndicate. Oh boy. Where, <laughs> let me find my... Where is Haha, ha, new card. Cleaver. Power one, armor two, provision 11, category, dwarf, crow... Crow splitters. Is that... Crown. A typo. It should say crown splitters. CDPR fix your patch notes. <laughs> yeah, crown splitters, intimidate. Deploy, spawn and play shakedown. Increase this card's intimidate by one for every adjacent crown splitter. Spoke correctly this time. V4, spawn cleaver's muscle on this rope. New card, Forsen Jr. Power 5, provision 10, category, human cut-ups. Deploy, damage a boosted enemy unit by six. Gain a coin for every point of excess damage dealt. Devotion, also gain gain insanity that doesn't sound like a good thing to gain uh p3 destroy <laughs> an enemy unit with three power or less okay we're good Continue. that's a mouthful <laughs> <laughs> i haven't gone around to playing syndicate today but i did see people experimenting with it i'm not sure what actually is the way to play syndicate no bible you've seen a bit of syndicate today how are you what are your thoughts on syndicate yeah we we experimented a bit with syndicate um so like as as I heard, because I didn't see because I was sleeping, Cleaver felt pretty decent in a Gord crime deck in Congregate. Like it felt like a pretty good card. And I mean the the card looks really good in an intimidate deck on paper, right? Like you even if you don't have a crown splitter on the board, you can play Cleaver, so it comes down as what as an eight for eleven, I think. Then you can spend four coins to get five points and get like an 
uh, a, a, a crown, an additional clown splitter to get it to intimidate too, and then you just get two points from every crime you play afterwards. So it seems like a very solid engine for an intimidate deck because you can obviously also protect it with the shakedown spawn, right? But yeah, it's it's basically like I don't. We tried it a bit in like some mid range syndicate too, but it seemed pretty bad. So it's probably just tied to crime decks. Uh, but yeah, I think the card is pretty good in a crime deck. Mm. And then um, I mean, horse and senior or junior, 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 junior. junior. <laughs> um, I, I, this card is somewhat interesting. Like I can, I believe it can do. Um, what's it? Is it six damage? Um, mm-hmm. Six damage to a boost unit. The thing I don't like about it is the is the limitation to only ha- the, the unit has to be saying it's boosted, and that can be very brickable. Like you play against Skellige, what are you going to hit? And that, that makes it kind of you know a bit awkward sometimes. Um, I don't know. It it seems like a card has potential, but I just really don't like that 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 restriction they put on it. I'm not sure. But then I don't know. You can argue that there's other cards that have that sort of restriction. Like if you look at, I guess Mokvog, You know, he needs he needs something boosted as well. Right. That's his whole point. So it, yeah. the thing it, was you have Mark cards Mark to do that is, as well. Like if Morkwork hits a good target, like a, a thick hammer drive or something else, the card is really, really strong. But the Horson's power ceiling is not actually yeah. that high. Honestly, I think Horson is not that great uh, from looking at it. Maybe the insanity fee ability is more interesting, but I kind of don't see it. Like most of these low value cards aren't actually that threatening most of the time. Mm-hmm. I guess you can combine it with like things like dip into Pontar and then you use it to remove like engines, maybe, but I don't really see it. Cleaver, on the other hand, seems pretty good to me. Um, pretty playable, at least in a, in a respective deck, like Hodger said. The issue with the insanity is he doesn't even have that much health, right? So you can't really spend that much of his health it, to continue to destroy three power or less units. And you need devotion to do that. So that's kind of kind of awkward, I would say. I don't know. Horson seems mediocre like i can understand why he's junior (laughs) (laughs) cleaver is is gonna be as good as uh, crimes are right so if we see new crimes come out that are good that's a card that's gonna benefit um so i think as syndicate gains more crimes you know as crime increases i feel like this card is gonna be better I mean, it's going to take some time to figure out Syndicate. They got a lot of buffs. There's like a lot of interesting four provision units, Dip in the Ponder, Tax Collector, that are appealing to play some other buffs to cards like Ludovicus or... Yeah, the buffs like all the pretty much. Like all the spenders are buffed, which is kind of big. Um, So it's going to take some time. I don't know what form Syndicate will assume, but if it's like a crime-based form, this Cleaver might definitely see play, for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna try some Tiger shenanigans because the card got buffed, tax collector got buffed, so maybe there's some potential there. Line pockets also got buffed. Uh, Igor yeah, got buffed. Oh, we might see oh, the thousand for Igor. Back no, again. not again. Not again. <laughs> yeah. I from the last time. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I like that we've done this so that when we do the follow-up podcast, we can see how accurate these these predictions of what's going to be busted and what isn't you know like queen meave in two weeks she's going to be rocking the ladder and we're going to be like just looking back looking like potatoes but that is that is every leader ability or new leader card new leader card uh that's been added so we've covered that any other major points on the patch you guys want to touch on or you feel like we've we've kind of put a little bow on it 
Not much. There's some changes to leader abilities, which I'm not sure I agree with. Uh, I don't think Ursa needed a nerf, honestly. Uh, it was quite well balanced. Um, I'm not sure about the Carapaz change. I think it's time to actually nuke Siri Dash. This card is unhealthy. Just get rid of it. Like, just come on, CPR. We know you like the janky cards, like... Harakwax <laughs> and Angulam, like I hate them, but Siri Dash is probably the most toxic of all of them. So just get rid of it, like free us. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's always been toxic series in the game, though. We had Siri Nova once upon a time. We were in that good old 24 oh, point yeah. last card. Nova, Nova Exactly. So there's got to be a toxic series. It's just, it's just the way of Quint. I, I, I must mean, say I one think, thing I'm really happy about is the fact that Clog has got you yeah, know kind of exactly. <laughs> kind of changed. I'm, oh, I'm so not well. gonna lie. Like I think in the last meta, like last meta didn't wouldn't actually feel bad if not Cloggers, but Cloggers actually made the gameplay experience really unenjoyable sometimes because like I there were just so many games you queue into Clock, you miss your own hero round one, then you get clocked, you never see it, and you just <laughs> lose the fight. <laughs> so there's literally nothing you can do, right? Like that, uh, you literally have no agency in the game. So, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm glad that these cards got nerfed. I I mean, the deck still might see some play, but it won't be. I don't think it will be good anymore. Or right? I mean, because like, people actually got like such good scores with it, right? Like Maya one got to twenty seven forty one with imprisonment clog, right? That's <laughs> actually insane. So yeah. The thing is with these decks, it's, it's like Mill. You know, even if it's absolutely terrible, someone out there will still try and play it. You know, I still very occasionally will see someone trying to play Mill. And I'm like, oh, you're going to get too old. Enjoy enjoy this experience. So <laughs> even with the, the Clogger's Nerf, that guarantee there will still be people out there who are like, yes, this is what I'm going to do with my yeah. with my time in Gwen. 100%. For sure. And like the, the clog cards themselves didn't actually get nerfed. They will 100% be clogged. Like Double Maddox is probably still a respectable deck-ish, at least like low tier two or so. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I think, I think that's a, a good note to kind of conclude patch notes. And let's talk about ladder let's talk about last season i feel like we might have some split opinions about how how did the ladder go for you gravish how was ladder last season i mean like i don't know who's gravish do this i just know some random head butter um that slams the ladder (laughs) it's like the problem of ladder for like this, like season three of masses so far has been a three-week seasons it's actually a pain in the ass like last season wasn't actually a three-week season, but we didn't know up until a week before the end. Um, so it actually was one effectively. Now we have another three-week season, and we see the people at the top of the ladder is just slamming games. Like they play 800, 900,000 games, and it's it's a lot of Gwen. Games. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's a lot of Gwen if you want to keep up. So I will say that the general meta has been, like Paja said, it's actually pretty decent, except for stuff like Cloggers just ruining your day, or Kelly, uh, that makes it like super unenjoyable. But in general, Ladder has been pretty okay, honestly. I don't know what you think, Paj. Yeah, like, so- sometimes I actually enjoy the game when I just did Clogger <laughs> or Kelly, because the, the, then the game was actually pretty enjoyable. Like, a lot of matchups were actually pretty close in this meta, like... 
the, the whole triangle with, uh, between NR, SK, and ST, all these matchups were like really close and like required a lot of skill to actually play. Um, so yeah, like if, if the meta literally consisted of these three factions, then it, it would be really good, although I mean a bit boring if you only had three options. But then yeah, you add Clog and Kelly, and then you just have like 30% of your games just decided by some abuse shenanigans. So yeah. <coughs> These games felt really bad. Um but yeah, I mean um having to like I tried to spam less games this season, but I still ended up spamming a lot of games last week. Um, because, I mean, yeah, like with, with a pretty short season, um, you kind of just have to jam a lot of games um, to climb. Like, you can get an insane win rate, but you're just not going to be able to finish high with a low amount of games, especially since like the scores were actually insane this season, right? Like so many people got above 10.6k, which is not really normal, right? Like most of the time 10.6k is a score that wins you the season. And now like we had what six people above 10.6. So like that was pretty crazy too. But yeah, I mean Pardon? You are thirty four? I can't remember. I actually didn't even check my position. Yeah, I, just, I, just were, I have it in front I of me. Played. I'm just testing you. You were 34. Uh, all right. Uh, I mean, the, 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 uh, let's play some ladder. Enjoy the season. I'll try my best to enjoy the season. Unless it's like <laughs> I said, there's a million cloggers on the ladder, then it becomes a lot less enjoyable. But um, I'm glad it's nerfed. And uh, before we kick things off, uh, or end things rather, should I say, um, just everyone in chat, if you guys have any questions you want to ask anyone here, um, ask them now. Um, and we'll try answer the, some of the questions we might sponsor. It, it doesn't have to be Gwent related. Uh, we've actually been encouraged to ask you guys questions so that people can get to know you as a person. You know, oh, that's, that's <laughs> like what is, for example, what is your ideal date? Oh boy, you, you guys open the box. How much is your outfit? Spirit, do you have any questions for Paya or for Grubbish? Uh, I got a question of Pyable, um, I guess. How how is things like after after a Masters? Like obviously you've been the winners of winner of Masters, and you know, kind of like declimatize and get back into the swing of things. How's it been like? You no, know, has there been any, any shift in anything, or just kind of business as usual afterwards? So I mean, literally nothing changed in my life after the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine actually doing anything with the money I won. I mean. Yeah, like the only thing that changed is maybe my mentality a bit. Like it obviously gave me a huge confidence boost, and yeah, that's kind of it. Like it didn't actually change that much in my life. So yeah. Oh, here's a Words good question. Of a winner. Here's a good question <laughs> from Kung Fu Rabbit: What names will you use for your alter egos to keep up with teammates? So to clarify this. Cybers changed his name to XXX Dark Kevin XXXD with some numbers in it. Cuner uh, is now Harry Potter 98. And Gravish, what are you? Uh, oh, just take the play. Just there's head, also, just there's also like some other TOG members like your mother and Dark Gravesh. So, uh, like, but who's Dark Gravesh? Is there actually a Dark Gravesh? There's actually an XX9 Dark Gravesh with some numbers and shenanigans. <laughs> Uh, honestly, like the funny thing is, and I, I like like someone told me this. I didn't know this. 
my like Ravesh Gravesh was actually taken like just the day after I name changed. Like someone made made <laughs> someone a new account. It. Someone made a new account and stole Gravesh Gravesh. Well, so I cannot Gravesh, go Gravesh back. Again. I cannot go back except for the me. person was... stepped forward. <laughs> Really I wish I wish it was. Yeah. I really do. So uh yeah, I mean it was just supposed to be a joke. Um I'm not sure what I'm probably gonna change it again. I'm not sure what it's gonna be. <laughs> I'll have to come up with something. Yeah, I mean Pilot I made a bet that when like if I ever don't make top sixteen and I'm switching my name to monkey boy, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you oh, don't yeah. make top 16. Yes. Oh, uh, if I ever wow. don't make top 16, I'm going to change my name. Come wow. on. Uh, Where are you going? Um, oh, boy, I haven't really given any thought. I mean, every, I, I've always had my name, just my my, my bare, simple, plain name. I haven't really thought of anything. Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, but before we um, wrap things up, though, I do not have sure. to... No, no, wait, no, no. That is a cop-out. You got to come up with someone. We're not just, we're not just doing like, oh, I have no idea. Uh, you got to pick uh, something like that casters would hate. That's your goal. Like, either, like, I would be called Crow Clan Druid because that card name ruins my life. Like, I always want to say, like, <laughs> Clown Druid or so, like, one of those names where the casters are just like, I don't want to say this. I, how do I say that? And you come up with something to kind of make up for it, you know? Uh, like, I, I, I just- at this point, I'm pretty sure I'll just end up naming my name like Draw Your Card Small W. That'll be my. That'll be my. That'll be my name. Just win forehead, like that kind of name. Just draw near Mancy forehead. Oh, oh boy! But um, yeah, before we wrap things up, I guess the one last thing I want to talk about is um, what are you guys' thoughts on the format to win season three? I mean, not really much has changed. They just introduced, I guess, crown points for um, I believe it's third and fourth place now to give people like some kind of reward for finishing you know in cl- close but not quite there but i think it's how many crown points is it i think it's one or two, two it's actually one. like um they added crown points to the first four so like yes. uh, first is five one, uh, second yeah. is four third and is first and fourth is first and this is something pieable you tweeted at vlad when they first introduced crown points saying that it should have a cap right yeah because previously like technically would be able to like get a bunch of like fat places and get more points than a person who actually qualified for the open, which I thought was a bit weird. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the most huge part of this change is probably just getting po- additional points for qualifying to the open because previously you would only just get one point for reaching quarterfinals, right? If you, if you went out in the quarters, you just literally got only one point for qualifying to the open. Now you get four or five. So, so yeah, like it could actually matter because like last season, the points from opens literally didn't matter for the final ranking, right? Like they literally didn't make any difference. So yeah, um, might like especially since the crown point race so far seems pretty close. So far, there are still a lot of candidates in game, so it could be an interesting race for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's always down the line. People drop out because they're just completely fed up with the game and it's just too much of a grind and everything. But early on in the year, you can't really tell uh, what's what's going to happen, who's going to 
have the power to grind through it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like the change. <laughs> I was going to say, whereas Pyable doesn't drop out if only because he doesn't want to change his name. That's, if, if you have these kind of conditions, then that's how you stay in the crown point range. I mean, I, for one, would love an open where Monkey Boy fights against Dark <laughs> Kevin. Like, I think that sounds pretty fun. <laughs> uh, whereas yeah, Dark Kevin I mean, plays what? Just as bad as yeah. Oh dear. I think the crown point thing is fine. I know that uh, I think Shaggy was saying that he came third or fourth and got one one point each time, but at the end of the day you're getting points where previous where previously you weren't and the system is set up such that if you come uh, basically, you can't get more crown points than someone who's qualified. So if first place you get five points, right? Your points, if you come third and then come say first, you don't get the third and the first, you only get the first. So it's designed so that people who qualified early aren't at a disadvantage. Um, and I think it, it, it's the best way that you could probably do it where you want to give additional crown points to people who come third and fourth without taking away from the people who qualify. It's a bit of a droplet on a hot stone. If you get third in a qualifier, have like a hard best of five and then lose, and then instead of going to an open, you get one crown point, you feel bad. Uh, but it's still better than nothing, right? It's, it's something. Um, it encourages, like, I mean, you try hard anyway. I don't know. It's something. <laughs> it's just something. Oh, we got a good and question from Basupi. Are you going to do that one? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to be asking, do you think the online qualifier is going to be a pleasant environment for both players and the viewers? Because obviously with regards to quali qualifiers, you have um, sometimes they're very long and it can be very tiring for the for the players to you know play in these long tournaments. But at the same time, um, you know, I know there were, a lot of, there were a lot of talks of last time around players mentioned that, that for, for the first, I think two or three rounds for, for top 16 to be single elimination can sometimes feel bad because, you know, maybe you have a little bit of an unlucky game and then you're instantly out of the top 16 qualifiers. I'm not sure what your guys' thoughts are on that. Are you happy with the way it is now or would you prefer it, like, um, to be double elimination probably all the way through or whatnot? I mean, the main argument for um, the single elimination first two rounds was that it was all on one day. And like playing a whole loser's bracket on one day is it's disaster because after 14 hours of Gwent, you just like it's just potato games. Like there's just nothing anymore. Like both players are dead. And then it, it comes down to like I think nearly every qualifier, the person that lost the upper bracket final won in the end because they had like so many less games that they were just like fitter, they had more energy. Um we asked CDPR a bunch of times to just do it on a whole weekend for top 16. Uh, but like some players didn't really like it and CPR didn't really like the idea either. I don't know why, honestly, but I think it's a fine compromise the way it is now. I don't love it, but it's it doesn't feel like a super long day, but it feels bad. Like fighting a whole month to get like bad RNG and like one best of five and then you're out. That's not exactly skillful in my opinion. I don't know what you think, Posh. I mean, so like... Usually it feels super bad when you just go out after the first best of five, but then you kind of realize that probably if you even got the chance to play, would just like end up playing a bunch of games in lower bracket just to not qualify anyway, and then you would like waste an entire day. So I actually don't think it's that bad. I mean, it obviously still sucks to lose a chance, right? Because there is always like a chance you might actually pull a miracle run, right? And qualify. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I remember when I qualified to my Open, uh, it was in the lower bracket final and we played it at 3 to 4 a.m. And it was just absolute potato gameplay, as you said. Like, I played versus Andy and we both just played so bad. Like, it was just, we both were just tired. We just wanted to get it over with. And, like, <laughs> It's yeah. quite really bad to play such an important game at like 3, 4 a.m. after playing went whole day, right? And like, it's different with ladder because like with ladder, I can spam the game for 20 hours straight and it's fine because like you just smoke the cards, you don't really rope too much and like you can just slam the cards on the board and it's fine. But like in qualify, you're roping, you're trying to think about your place and it just... Takes a long time, takes a lot of effort, and it's just much more tiring than playing ladder. So yeah, um, I, I think there's a few you know kind of issues you have to consider as well with double elimination. Is sometimes you have those situations where a player is waiting for hours just for someone to come through the boozer bracket to meet them, and so that's not going to really be an even matchup where one player has just been like chilling, looking at decks and stuff for say you know an hour or, or more, and the other players come through just won a game and then go straight into another game. So there's going to be kind of fatigue. And when you have longer double elimination, that's going to be exacerbated. So that's one thing to consider. Um, I think with top 64, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's the day is too long when you also have the Saturday on top, but maybe something they could consider moving forward is to split uh, top 16 into two days. So you play a certain amount through the bracket on Saturday and then do the rest on Sunday, which helps to deal with issues of fatigue and gives you that chance where, you know, you've, you've grinded ladder, you've got top 16, you've gotten into the bracket. So you actually have a good shot at qualifying. Whereas, you know, top 64 to get into the bracket, you have to win day one. So that's yeah. a your filtering process anyway. So if you get to day two and then lose, well, you know, just be better. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, for top 64, it's better. Like, we, we even tried this. I think we had like one or two top 16s last year where we actually played on Saturday and Sunday. Um, it felt fine to me, but it's also like, it's also nicer to get it done in one day. Like, because like with two qualifiers every month, if you're like actually grinding for top 16 a lot, it's a lot of time, right? And it's actually nice to have some weekends and some days where you don't have to play when. I mean, I'm kidding, obviously, because on the Sunday, <laughs> then you just jam ladder. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's <laughs> like Cam's, he got knocked out of the tournament. And then and go straight back to ladder. <laughs> <laughs> straight into Cam's. Like, yeah, if, when, when qualifiers were, like top 16 qualifiers were split into two days, they basically kind of took three days away because you will, usually you would spend like Friday prepping for qualifiers. And then, yeah, if you actually did well, in top 16 then we would have to spend another two days so like yeah it can be it can be really bad for um ladder because especially like in a short season like this this month like i mean they extended the season thankfully but yeah like if if this was only a three-week season with qualifiers it would actually like have a huge impact right that like the, the people that actually did well in qualifiers would be in a worse spot on ladder technically because they would just have way less time to actually slam games um so yeah like it's always the problem that qualifiers are kind of crushing with ladder uh, like some people just 
some people just tend to focus on ladder instead of qualifiers and just like bring don't really put much thought into lineups just bring ladder decks right if they do well then cool if they don't do well then whatever just go back to ladder right so yeah um but yeah, before we wrap things up, I just wanted to let everyone know for the podcast, um, this obviously being the first episode of the Twinal podcast, we are planning on doing this, um, I think, a bi-monthly basis, like tw- probably about every second week. So be on the lookout for more. Um, we will obviously keep the content coming. So yeah. Yep. Next podcast will be roughly around when the meta report drops for TLG. So there's TLG meta report. There should be a podcast to go with Wait. it. There's no meta report tomorrow? Like, oh. that's a report when? Hello? Like, yeah, we're just team lazy gaming. Uh, so <laughs> I guess our conclusion is, you know, who wants who wants um, qualifiers to be longer? The answer to that is people who lose. So the conclusion is just don't lose. That's, that's <laughs> my advice, really. And on that Good note, advice. just, just don't advice. lose. Up to your Gwent advice. Uh, I think we're just going to wrap things up. But we need to mention the TLG Invitational qualifiers. Oh, yes. So the broadcast for that um, will be this weekend, I believe. Swiss on day, I want to say that it's it's Swiss over two days. I'm going to say it's Swiss over two days. And I believe me and Spiro will be commentating some of that on the Sunday here. Yeah. Right here. In gaming, right right here and wherever we are. My house is (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's on Sunday. And there is going to be more content coming out on the Team Leviathan Gaming Twitch channel. So make sure you're following for for that sort of thing. Uh, any last remarks, Gravesh? Anything you want to tell the people at home? Um, just help but play. My advice is just just win. Your advice is just head but play. I have you any my advice? advice is, my advice oh. is just draw your cards. Just draw your cards, Pavel. <laughs> this turn gets clogged. Uh, and on that note this has been the inaugural episode of the Zwinal TLG podcast thank you everyone for tuning in make sure you follow us on you know wherever you find podcasts where do people find podcasts the internet follow us on the internet and and now we wave at the camera and wish everyone a lovely evening bye bye Bye.